Again, we are dealing with a review. I shall give this message and another that I know of regarding our Articles of Faith in a review. And the title to this message is, We Have Come Full Circle. If you remember, our first article is the Bible. And last uh, Wednesday, we spoke upon the subject of uh, contending for the faith. And if you want to know what the faith is, it's in the Bible, because it is the Bible. It's everything that the Bible speaks of. And so that's what we are to contend for. And you know, sometimes, as we mentioned, we have to contend against our own flesh. There's things in here, and as we study the Bible and go through it, there's some corrections that we need to make in our lives. As uh, a child of God, as a member of this church, as uh, a husband, as a father, as a son, as uh, a mother and a wife, and a daughter, there are things that we need to correct in our own lives. If, and certainly, if we're going to contend for it, then we better have our lives in a right and good shape. Now here in Jude verse 3, as we read this passage of Scripture, Jude writes and he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who are before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verse 3, we see that Jude, humanly speaking, was, had it in his mind and he was giving all diligence to write unto these folks, uh, the servants of the Lord, regarding the subject of the common salvation. But then the Holy Spirit impressed upon him to write upon the subject of contending for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. Now some commentators and even some ministers uh, contend that contending for the faith refers back to the common salvation. But this is not so. Contending for the faith does more than just the common salvation. It covers, or as we noted last week, it is the all things of the Bible. It's the all counsel of God. So we want to remember this. Now look over to Psalms 68. Psalm 68. We're turning there in our Bibles. Psalm 68 and verse 11. We have here this evening, and this will be what we want to read here also. The Bible says, Psalm 68 and verse 11, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. And so again, we're dealing with the word of God, and it tells us here who the word came from, whom God sent it to, and then it tells us what they did with it. And so that's what you and I are to do. It came from the Lord, we received it, 
and then we published it. And there are over 36, uh, um, or around 36 men whom God used to write the scriptures. There are 66 books, some 36 uh, people were used to record the word of God. Now I want you to note and bear with us, keeping these thoughts in mind. If you remember, we began our study upon our articles of faith, and it's been over a year since we began. But we said that it was of necessity. It had been forced upon us, and it was so because that divisions and differences had arose. And over the years, there have been many differences regarding doctrines and other things in Baptist churches. But I want you to take note that it all comes back to, as I said, that we have come full circle. It all returns to the first article, the Bible. That's what it returns to. Because that's what we believe is the Bible is the revealed will, the revealed mind of God for his people. And so this is the difference between a true Baptist church and all other churches or so-called churches. That is the sole difference. We have a mixture of people here this evening and members of this church who have come from different denominations and now we are all have been made members of this church. And if you ask any of them who came from without, I guarantee you that they will say this, that one of the key or the key difference between a true Baptist church or a true church of the Lord and where they came from is that the Baptist churches only use the Bible. It's the end. It's the beginning and the end of all questions in matters of religion. We have no uh, creeds. We have no councils. We have no presbyters. We have no dioceses. We do not use our minds. We do not use our opinions. We do not use our feelings. We use the scriptures. And when you begin to go with anything else, you have a problem. Because the Bible tells us, and we'll note in the message later on, that the Bible says that thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. God's word has not changed in 6,000 years. It hasn't changed. God himself hasn't changed. Everything else has. You cannot look at any other so-called churches back from when they originated, whether it be with the Church of Rome in 300 or 500, depending on where you want to start, whether you want to go to the Reformation period beginning roundabout. There began some in 1300, but I believe predominantly with the beginning at Luther, I think took place in the 1500s. If you want to begin there, they have similarities, likenesses, but they have made changes. True Baptist churches still refer back solely and wholly to the word of God. And if there's any change in the Lord's churches, it is not the doing of God. It's the doing of man. Now, one writer stated this, and pay particular attention, he says this, 
No religious denomination has a right to a separate existence unless it differs essentially from others. Furthermore, any ecclesiastical differences or any differences of churches ought always to spring from a profound doctrinal difference. Otherwise, to divide a church for any other reason is criminal schism or division. And certainly that's true. You remember, I believe it was to a Bible conference ago that we hosted. Brother Larry let us know that he knew a church that split on whether it had the flat toothpicks or the round toothpicks. There are churches who have split, and I'll be honest with you, that was not the reason they split. That's just the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'll tell you this, the reason why churches split is because of human pride. Human pride. Someone's wrong. And they will not come off of their error. Now we look here in the scriptures. And there are schisms. I've known churches that split over colors of curtains. Colors of carpets. What to, things to decorate. What to paint. What not to paint. And you know everything that most churches or most individuals leave a church for... It's carnal, fleshly reasons. They're not doctrinal. They'll put them under the guise of doctrinal issues, under the guise of, well, you don't preach or believe the truth, but it's really personal, fleshly issues. And if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they had a very serious problem at Corinth. And there are many churches of the Lord who are on a spiritual life support because of divisions within the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse, if you begin at verse 11 with me, the Bible tells us, as it states here, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so Paul puts it very clearly under the church at Corinth. And they had a problem, people say, well, I'm following Paul. Once that I'm following uh, uh, Cephas, once that I'm following Apollos, and then he had uh, the people who said, well, I'm following Christ. And they probably weren't following Christ at all. And so we see that they had a problem with uh, something that was going on at Corinth. And we don't really, uh, uh, as far as I've seen, if you look in chapter 3, we don't see really what the main contention was about. But what we do see is why it was caused. In chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, 
Are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. And so Paul here makes a point, and he says, the reason for schisms or divisions or for contentions in the Lord's churches is because the members are carnal, they're fleshly, and they're babes in Christ. That was the problem. Paul tells them, and he says, and I'm not saying that everyone at Corinth was a babe in Christ, but it's clear that those who were causing problems and contentions and strikes and were envious and causing divisions, Paul says in verse 3, at the latter clause, he says, Are ye not carnal and walk as men? That's the problem in churches of the Lord. They're carnal, they're fleshly, they're envying, and they're envying turns into strife. They're jealous for whatever reason. And Paul tells us here that there is no reason to be jealous because we are all in the Lord if we're saved. And as Jude said, you've all been saved commonly. What's there to be envious of? Certainly, we have nothing to envy one another about, for we have the same Lord. Furthermore, let us note regarding the churches of the Lord that we do claim the right of true New Testament Baptist churches to exist on the ground that we differ from all other churches in our constitution, in our membership, in our ordinances, in our doctrines, and that these differences are based and authorized by the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. When we speak of our articles of faith or what we believe, we do not run back only 500 years. We do not run back 600 or 700. We go all the way back to the Scriptures. And that's a problem that many churches or so-called in this world have. They cannot go back all the way to the Bible and find what they believe. You take, for example, the Campbellites. When Alexander Campbell, or they're more commonly known today as the Church of Christ, when they started, Campbell believed that baptism was a part of salvation, and so they began to baptize people to save them. Well, we find none of that in the scriptures. Furthermore, once you begin to believe that baptism has a part of salvation, it makes absolutely common sense to the human mind that the sooner you baptize them, the better off they'll be. Hence, you get into infant baptism, which again is foreign of the word of God. And then when babies start drowning, you've got to change how you do it. And then they start sprinkling and pouring. And so we see here how that these things arise. But I want you to know that in every instance, now I want to clarify this, so bear with me, but in every instance, God's churches, the churches of the Lord, differ than all other churches in this world. In every instance, 
You take our articles of faith and you begin to sit down and really examine what others believe and they'll say, well, and I'm talking about the church because how many people have you met? And they'll say, well, I don't really believe everything of the church that I go to. They'll say that. And so we're talking about what the church believes because remember, outside of true Baptist works, the church is some mystical being in the air. And so the church can believe something different than the people. And the people can believe something different than the church. But you see, here with you and I, we are the church. And what we believe is what the church believes. And what the church stands for, you and I must stand for. And so when we compare doctrinal statements between what Baptists, true Baptists believe, and what all others believe, and you get down into the actual beliefs, you're going to find differences in every point. And I guarantee you'll find them in salvation in every instance of what they believe. Because I only know one. I only know one system of belief that does not believe where man has to do something to be saved. They all have something that must be done by man in order to be saved. They really don't believe that as the Bible says in Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. They really don't always believe that. They'll say, oh, it's say salvation by grace. Oh, that's true. And then they'll say, but man's got to do this. He's got to choose to be saved. And then you get into justification. And you get into sanctification. And these are mystical terms to them. Why, they don't know what they mean. They don't have a clue. And a lot of them say, well, those are the theologian. That's for the preacher to know. No, that's for all of God's people to know. Furthermore, we find regarding true Baptists and all others. And I want you to be aware of this. Look in 1 Peter 3. We have... Made note of this several times. Let us make note of it again. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. That we should expect. We should expect. That when you and I are holding up such a difference. When we refuse to partake in. Or refuse to let others. Partake in the services of the Lord. I will refuse no one to come in and sit down with us. But as far as the pulpit, as far as the actual or things that go on in the services of the Lord, they're not welcome. You're going to have to be a true Baptist to be in this pulpit. You're going to have to be one who has... Uh, given sound evidence that you contend for the faith. And I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. But what I want you to note is this. That you and I ought to expect that all other denominations of the world will ask the question, by whose authority do you array yourselves against all Christendom in maintaining these doctrines? Because let's face it. We're not talking just against Catholicism and Protestantism, which covers pretty much everybody else, and the non-denoms. 
We're talking about every one of them. We contend against every other part of so-called Christendom or Christianity. And they're not Christians at all. I really despise that when people say they're a good Christian and they have never followed Christ in scriptural baptism. They're not a Christian at all. They may be saved, but they're not Christ-like. Because Jesus didn't go to anybody to be baptized. He went to John the Baptist, who had authority. And then that's just one aspect of being a Christian. Because you can be a member of this church, and unbeknownst to the rest of us, but known to God, your life can be in such uh, unscriptural disorder. You're not a Christian. Christian means Christ-like. So that's a whole other standard. That is a completely different issue. That if God allows us, we shall get into that. But let's imagine this. And I'm sure you've had it before. You begin to speak to someone and they say, Well, this is what we do for the Lord's Supper. This is what we do for baptism. And you say, I don't agree with that at all. And they say, in fact, when you begin to look into baptism and someone were to come and say, I want to join the church. They say, I was baptized years ago under this denomination. We refuse it. They're going to say, why will you not accept it? They have every right to ask that question. Because, to be honest with you, we're the odd ones. We're the ugly ducklings. Or duckling, or whatever it is. But look in 1 Peter 3.15. We ought to expect these. Questions, but no, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Why in the world do we not accept their baptism? And we say, well, you didn't have any authority. That church never had any authority. Okay, prove it. Can you show them in the scriptures that this denomination has absolutely no authority to do anything? To witness, to go do mission work, to baptize, to observe the Lord's Supper? I'm not saying they're going to believe a single word we say. But you're going to have to give them if they're seriously interested at all. And even if they're not, we're still required by God to articulate what we believe. What good is a belief if we cannot articulate it unto others? We find here that this is so. Baptists, true Baptists, are going to stick out like sore thumbs. And if this is so, we better be able to show from scriptures why we believe what we do and why we are so adamant about it. I'll give you two responses you're going to hear from the world. Number one, when you read them scripture, they're going to say, well, I don't agree with that. And number two, they're going to say, well, that's your opinion. Let them say it. That's all you can do. All you can do is show them scriptures. 
I remember the best answer someone said. They said, well, what does the Bible say about salvation? How is one saved? Well, Acts chapter 16, where Paul told the Philippian jailer, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. That's a scriptural answer. And they'll say, all you got to do is believe? I don't agree with that. Well, it's right there. It's right there. And so certainly, if they would believe it, then they would do it and be saved. But this is what we shall see. Now I want you to note that there are pretty much five basic essential categories that Bible, the Bible can be broken down into. The Bible deals with five, as far as I have seen, five basic categories. Number one, God. That uncovers the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, salvation. And that encompasses everything about salvation. From election to repentance and faith in Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in Christ. Covers the entire doctrines of grace. Number three, the church of the living God. The Bible speaks upon that greatly. Number four, I believe that this is the most of which God's word declares godly living. The whole Old Testament is about godly living. Because God had to tell Israel over and over and over and over. Because they kept getting backslidden again and again and again. And there are different aspects to godly living. Particularly as you're a spouse, as you're a child, as a male or a female. Then as well you have regarding what we're to do just simply as children of God. Then fifthly, we find that the Bible deals with end times. You can basically break down every aspect of God's word into these Five categories. God, salvation, the church, godly living, and the end times. Those five things. But I want you to know, and, re- and keep this in mind, that we'll find a difference in every single category between Baptists and all other denominations. Every one of them. You talk to your fellow co-workers. If they know anything about it at all, you'll find differences in every aspect. Then this leads us to the great truth, and that is this, that the word of God or the sovereignty of God's holy word. God's word is the ultimate. It's the end of all discussions. It ends everything. Look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We read in the scriptures. The Bible tells us Matthew 5 and verse 18. Where Jesus speaks and he says. 
For verily, or for truly, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Then in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24 and verse 35. And there are others that we could give, but I want you to take note here, Matthew 24, 35. The Bible says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. This is the sovereignty of God's holy word. Whatever God's word says, it's going to happen. Because it's backed by God himself. But this is the difference as well between all true Baptists and all others is that we believe the great principle of respect for God's word. What did we say at the offset of these series of messages and as well in Acts? We believe the Bible is our sole, our only rule of faith and practice. It tells us what to believe and it tells us what to do about what we believe. That's the difference. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of folks who say, well, you're just interpreting it the way you want to interpret. You can't interpret God's word. It doesn't need interpreting. It needs to be listened to. It needs to be obeyed is what it needs to be done. This is the difference. And because we believe this about God's word, it compels us to differ from those whom we love. It compels us to differ from everyone, really. And it also constrains us to maintain and vindicate what we regard as important and imperishable truth. When we look at the Bible, this is the most important thing on this earth as far as from the Lord. This book is more important than physical food. Because remember, the Bible says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. This is what we find. That it is an imperishable truth. It will never be destroyed. Kind of like the hymn we sing. The Bible stands. Baptists and the Bible. We believe. And I'm quoting several things here. Which is why I'm looking down at my notes. Much. But we hold that the Bible. Is the supreme. The all sufficient. The exclusive. And absolute rule. In all matters of religion of religious faith and practice. And it is a rigid adherence to this principle which separates us, true Baptists, from all other churches, Rome and Protestant, and constrains us to hold and propagate at all hazard the doctrines which distinguish us as a people and church. What we mean is this. That because we believe that God's word is all sufficient, it's absolute, that we stick to a rigid adherence of it. We don't go, well, you know, and I hear this the most, so I'll use it. 
When you speak about women not speaking in church, in the public assembly, in the mixed assembly, they'll say, well, that was back then. Well, we don't believe it was just for back then. It's for now. And so we find and we believe that. We stick to a rigid adherence of it. We don't waver on it. It's not just for Sundays and it's okay on Wednesdays. It's true in all of the services of the mixed assemblies. And then we find that because we believe that, we, will const- we are constrained and we will hazard our own lives in standing for the truth. And if need be, we will lose our lives as our Baptist forefathers did when they stood for the truth of baptism by the Lord's churches. When we finish with Acts and a few other lessons, we'll get into our Baptist heritage, Lord willing, and we'll see that we find that baptism was a sticking point for many centuries. Many of our forefathers and foremothers died because they would not accept immersion from another denomination. They would not accept sprinkling. They wouldn't accept anything from anyone but true Baptists. And so we find that they hazarded themselves. They lost homes. They were beaten and afflicted, crucified, burned and murdered. And people say, and I'll give you this. People say, well, maybe it's not baptism. Maybe it's something else. They say, well, you can let go of this this one. It's just a little truth. It's a small truth. That's where it begins. Satan will chip away and chip away and chip away until there's nothing left. Our our belief is this. Our belief is that we propose to take as our guide in all matters of religion and of religious beliefs and practice, we take the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Whatever we find in the Bible... We believe that it is binding. And whatever we find not in the Bible is not binding. We do not accept things. We do not accept beliefs simply because it was stated by this man. Unless it has the authority of Christ upon it, we will not receive it. And that is why we are not liked. That is why people are not flocking into Baptist churches. They hated Christ. They hate his word. They hate his people. They will not rejoice in the truth unless God changes them. The Bible is our standard. And if our standard is not the timeless, unerring word of God then we cannot even protect ourselves from internal crumbling. If our standard changes and we are divided, we will be destroyed from within. I want you to notice well something else that Baptists believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. We believe, I believe... I'm sure you believe, maybe not, in this exact wording. And let me say this as well. Our differences 
And the differences of all of other Christendom, it is not semantics. It is not the wording. It is not the English language that we use to describe. It is the belief. We differ from all other denominations on not the wording of what we believe about salvation, but on actually what we believe about salvation. You go and ask them. There's people who say you could lose your salvation. Well, we don't agree with them. You go and you ask another and they'll say, well, you got to do something to be saved. Then you got others who'll say, well, just wait, maybe a bolt of lightning will hit you. Then you'll know you're saved. I differ with them too. So what we find is, is that we're not talking about semantics. We're not talking about the wordings of what we believe. We're talking about the beliefs. I've heard people say, well, I just don't care for the way that's worded. That's one thing. But when they'll say, I don't believe that, that's something else. And I know men who have tried to rewrite the Bible because they didn't care how it was worded. Well, it's good enough for me. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, one thing that we believe, we believe this, that every man has a duty. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And that goes as well for the ladies as well. That you are required to be faithful. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Matthew 16, 27, that every man according to his works shall be judged. Every man. Jesus said that you'll be judged of good works and there'll be those who are judged of evil works. We'll stand as individuals. Every man has a responsibility. We believe that. You cannot serve God by proxy. You cannot serve God uh, uh, as it is also rendered, as many people do, and they'll serve God not by a substitute, but by someone else. There are many, and this happens in certain denominations when they're infants or little children, they'll say, well, I believe for my child. Well, you can believe all you want. Salvation's personal. It's on an individual basis. Daniel Webster wrote, he said, death brought every man to his individuality. That's true. In death you die alone and you'll stand alone before a judgment seat. Now we find this to be so that we will one day give account for ourselves. Everyone must repent for himself, believe for himself, and obey for himself or herself. It is every man's duty. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We will all give an account one day. I realize and recognize that some have different duties. I myself, for instance, have the duty of a pastor, whereas you do not. But you have duties. You have requirements. 
And in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, what we find is this, that we believe that the Bible tells every man his or her requirement. You don't have to guess at it. You don't have to buy a devotional book. The Bible tells us. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Now I realize that ends with a question mark. God is stating something in a rhetorical question fashion. He says, but what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? And then he lists it. And if you go down to verse 20, you'll find seven things. Seven things that God requires of his people. And that's the short list. But I'll say that the Bible tells us everything that we need to know. It is the beginning and the end of all religious questions. That's why we entitled the message, We Have Come Full Circle. Where did we find all of our beliefs? We, we went to the Bible. We went to the scriptures. We sought them out. We found them. We found them to be unerring. We found them to be correct. We found that we did not tweak them. We did not change them. We did not make them modern. But that they were in the Bible in every instance Written by the Lord. Certainly we need to believe that. Look in Matthew 28. And I use this scripture often, but I want to know the Bible and the church of God. Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. There's a difference between the Lord's churches and all other churches. And the difference is, when you break it down, it's one thing, it's the Bible. That's what it is. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This verse, or these verses rather, give the all-exclusive and all-inclusive mission of the church. These verses show us everything the church is supposed to do. Everything. God left out not one thing in these verses. And as well, he shows you by reading this that he has excluded all man-made things from his churches. He says here that we are to go and teach all nations and that phrase means make disciples of them. That's preach the word of God, instruct them in how to be saved, and God will give the increase. After they're saved, then we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And then thirdly, we teach them to observe all things that he has commanded. Now, note that it says, it doesn't say teach them all things. It says teach them to observe. That means to perform. It also means to keep so that it may be given to the next generation. Furthermore, he says teach them to observe all things, so leave none of it out whatsoever, again, leaving nothing out, whatsoever I have commanded you. He doesn't say, I want you to go and hear this brother or go and hear this preacher. He's got some new things for you to hear. He says, I've commanded it. We've got 66 books. That's all we need. 66 books. It's complete. We need nothing else. This is what we believe as a church. This is what every individual of this church believes or should believe, and I'm confident that they do. And then I want to close in John chapter 6. We read there in Matthew 28, and we have preached upon this subject before that Christ has put all of his word into his church. He didn't put it into anything else. He gave it unto his church. I do not apologize to other people, other denominations, when I tell them the truth that God has never given them anything. He never has. He never told Luther to break off of the Church of Rome and start his own work. He never told the popes to do what they did. He never told... Uh, 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 Calvin to do what he did. He never told the Wesleyan brothers. He never told King Henry. He never told Alexander Campbell. He never told Mary Edie Baker. He never told any of them to do anything. And he never gave them anything to do it with. He gave it all to the Baptists. And he did it on that Sunday there in Matthew when they met in the top of a hill in Galilee. Nearly 2,000 years ago. Everybody else is about 1,500 years too late. And again, as I've said before, how in the world could he give what he believes in the Bible? How could Christ give it unto a mystical body? It's insane. In, in John 6, knowing that he has given it unto his church, note what he says. John 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Now I want you to know, before we read the rest. Remember when you were a child, and perhaps some of you are still children, on the playground or, or at a, a, a field or something, and Someone had the ball. They brought the ball. Something happened that they didn't like. And they took their ball and went home. They left. They got offended. And here Jesus proposes the question, after that some were offended that he preached that he was the bread of life. And be honest with you, he could have preached anything and they would have got offended at anything. And he goes further and he says, that they walk no more with him. 
And in verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Now, this is one of the times when Simon Peter really hit the nail on the head. Because a lot of times you'll find that he was just shooting off his mouth. But in verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the question really is, as Jesus proposed here, after that we have gone over all of these articles of faith, will ye go away? And Simon Peter said, to whom should we go? Where would we go if we did not agree with these things from the scriptures? Are we going to go with the church of Rome or any of the Protestant harlot daughters? No. Because as Peter said, under Christ, thou hast the words of eternal life. And who did he give them to? He entrusted them unto his church, which are known today as Baptist churches. And again, as I said last week, I believe, not every Baptist church is the Lord's, but every church of the Lord's is a Baptist church. And so we find these things to be true. Well, I hope, as we have begun to close in our lessons on our articles of faith, that we may say in verse 69 with Simon Peter, and that is this, that and we believe and are sure. I, as I've said in Revelation, and it may be true with our articles of faith, that, you know, we go over some things, and we preach and teach some things, and we learn some things, we better know them better than we did when the, before the message was preached, before we were taught. I don't know everything about all our articles of faith, I didn't know it before I taught him. I don't know it after I've taught him. But I can tell you this. I have been firmed and settled and cemented in these things. In fact, let me read that in Colossians. Let me read that in Colossians. I believe it's in chapter 2. Colossians 2 and verse, uh, we find in verse 6. It says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walking in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Certainly we ought to, as we're taught the faith, abound in it with thanksgiving because, you know, we could not believe these things. We could still be lost. We could still be thinking that we're serving God in some other place, and we're not. We're not serving the Lord. What a blessing we have to be able to serve the Lord in and through His kind of a church. And we find as well, you remember what Paul said in the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men in cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Well, I'll tell you, there's some folks, members of churches, 
I don't care how much you preach to them. Some new doctrine comes along and it'll blow them away. They'll be tossed to and fro like a ship upon the sea. They'll be rooted up. And why? You remember the ground? The sermon on the parable about the sower with the ground? They were never put in the good, they, they were never the good soil. They never adhered to what was preached and taught. So I do pray that we can say regarding our articles of faith and after everything that we preached and taught that we might say we believe and are sure. And that no matter what, no matter what happens, well, you think about the things that the Apostle Paul went through, the sufferings that he took, that he, he received, that he went through, and there he was. And even Simon Peter, at the offset of his ministry, Jesus said that someday you're going to be bound and you're going to be crucified. And he never, he just kept on keeping on. He didn't waver. Boy, we certainly need to do that as well. We trust the message has been a blessing to each one. Let's go ahead and stand this evening and be dismissed in a word of prayer. May God bless the message to each one. and We pray that God will help us uh, in the services uh, as we come this Lord's Day. Remember, those of you, if you're members of this church, you'd like to sing a special, uh, any of the groups that we have, or if you'd like to form one, uh, let the other people know. And but you can volunteer other people to sing. We that's all right. And but let Brother Gale know, and uh, um, we'll uh, uh, he'll he'll begin to get that. And I know it's a few months away, but some of us need more practice than others. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask if we'll have a series. If Brother Chip, then Brother Darren, then Brother Gale would uh, close in prayer. Scene, Brother Chip, please.
Father, we bow before you this evening with a meek and humble spirit, with, Lord, knowing that you were all, uh, all knowing and, and, and uh, in charge and power. Lord, we pray that the, uh, the things that we do and the life that we lead will be honored and glorifying unto you. Lord, may we search the scripture diligently to give account to those people that inquire or ask about saving grace and that we're ready to answer and, and give charge. Lord, we, we pray for those that are not here, the ones that are sick, the ones that are absent, that you'll uh, be with them and you'll put your hand of grace upon them. And Lord, we, we uh, pray for this church as we move forward, that we're headed in the right direction with the one body and one spirit, and that we are seeking ways to uh, carry out the Great Commission. Lord, we pray that uh, uh, you'll guide us in that direction and, and give us the strength and the means to do so. Lord, we also ask that you be with the, uh, the fellow pastors Amen. your churches, uh, be with Brother David and Sister Betty, and, and Lord, we have a close spot in our heart for them, that you give them strength and mercy. Lord, Brother, Brother Bird in Louisiana, as he's uh, been a faithful servant, we know he's growing weary and old, but you'll give him strength and, and grace to do so. And Brother Wilson and his church, and as he fights his affliction, that uh, you'll heal him up and give him strength to continue on. And the other pastors that we know, uh, as they worship you tonight, Lord, we all pray that our uh, we're stretching for the common goal of, uh, of pleasing you and bringing honor and glory into you. Lord, now as we leave here this evening, uh, guide us and protect us from the wiles of the devil. And, uh, and pray, show your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.